Do you want to talk about money laundering? Cookie. You want a cookie instead? Yeah. But what about money laundering? Cookie. Okay, so not everyone is keen on talking about money laundering. Even if, like my niece, you are a self-professed big girl who isn't quite two yet. I'm Binder Sajjan and you are listening to Lady at the Ledge. Listen, I get it. This is a huge topic. I mean, I cover the political aspects of money laundering and to be honest, I still get overwhelmed. I think generally we are starting to understand the links between casinos, real estate, the opioid crisis and money laundering. And that's thanks in big part to media stories and recent reports by Peter German and Maureen Maloney. Where it gets complicated, though, is when you look at all the agencies involved and who is responsible for what and how they overlap. Well, the province is now holding a public inquiry to look at who knew what and how those systems broke down. To borrow a phrase from a very popular TV series, maybe they're also trying to see how they can break the wheel. Well, joining me for this episode is someone who's been reporting on money laundering since before it was sexy, and someone who has a real knack for breaking the information down into digestible chunks, my CTV colleague and fellow Game of Thrones enthusiast, John Woodward. Okay, well, John, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. You know, for years, I feel like when we were talking about money laundering, people kind of thought, some people thought it was kind of this political boogeyman, that they weren't quite sure if this problem was happening. We're now at a point where there seems to be widespread acknowledgement of how big an issue money laundering is in BC. We have this inquiry coming up. Is this just a political whodunit now? I think there's a, there's a lot of political teeth to it, that's for sure. I mean, if I'm the NDP and I'm coming out of 16 years of liberal rule, you know, the last uh, half decade or so, where this problem really exploded, it's pretty useful to be able to have a, an independent judge point the finger at whoever was in charge during those years. So politically, yeah, there's a lot of, of reason for the NDP to do this. But also, you know, the, over the course of, several reports from Peter German and, and uh, others, they they have built the case to do this on its own merits as well. I mean, if you if you look at the holes that, the, that um, those reports have identified in the money laundering uh, detection system in this province, they're pretty gaping. If you look at the huge numbers of dollars they're saying are coming through uh, those holes, it's pretty large. We're talking billions of dollars and how it's affected average people in terms of the raise of the house prices, and also just just feeling as if we're living in an economy where where playing by the rules makes you a sucker. That 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 groundwork was laid in that kind of in that kind of work. So I think there's a, there's you know it's, it's a good chess move always has many many advantages, and this is a really good chess move by. Yeah, let's talk about the fact that this um, inquiry, the final report, is due in two years. There's an interim report coming in 18 months, conveniently before the next 
provincial election is scheduled for, although we do know that the inquiry could take a little bit longer as well. There are mechanisms in place. So certainly um, some of those answers should be coming out fairly quickly. Now, you've reported on loopholes and concerning practices with regards to money laundering, with regards to casinos for years. Are we really at a point where we need more information? Because you pointed to those Peter German uh, reports. Do we need more information about what was happening? Well, to paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld, you don't know what you don't know. But what (laughs) we do know here is we have a big problem. So just on what we know, let me give you a little little brief uh, picture of the landscape. We have a a system where uh, suspicious transactions and large cash transactions have to get reported to a federal agency called FinTrack. That's what's supposed to be detecting um, suspicious money. Um, But the thing is, it only happens in some cases. There are only some reportable entities. So banks would be one of them. But you would think maybe uh, that a a guy coming into a car dealership with a giant bag of cash, uh, you know, uh, blood and cocaine-soaked $20 bills and dumps (laughs) it on, you would think that would trigger some kind of reporting. But Actually, legally right now, that, there's no reason why anyone, why that dealer would have to pick up the phone. Same with mortgage brokers and, and private lenders. You would think that somebody coming in with incredibly suspicious uh, money would result in some kind of call, and it's not that way right now. So one of the, one of the big loopholes here was that, and the casinos was the same problem, or a similar problem, I should say. There was a requirement to report when, say, half a million dollars came in in cash at a time, which is, which is something that happened, $15 million in a single month of the River Rock Casino. They reported there, but where did those reports go? They didn't really go anywhere, and, and there were some real problems with accountability structures, which meant that everyone was pointing fingers at everyone else, uh, and there were a lot, of, uh, you know, there were a lot of, of reasons to ignore it because it was money coming in the door. Yeah. Um, so, so we know there are flaws. Um, and there's a lot of information out there right now about what those are and what to do about them. So one example is universal cash reporting. It's something the United States does every time, not just in banks or specific sectors, anywhere. Anything that comes in with more than $10,000 of cash, you report that. And, and um, you know, I think as Peter German said, that doesn't happen that often. Think about your own life. How, are you, how often do you have $10,000 in a briefcase that you're using to buy something? Almost never. I mean, personally, never. I, I wish I lived in those circles, you know. I wish I, I was in those circles. But I don't think I've ever I, even had $10,000 in a bank account, you know. Like, <laughs> like never mind in right. cash. Who are these people that do this? There aren't, I would like to think there aren't that many of them. So it's not a tremendous inconvenience for everybody to report everywhere. And that's one of, that, that's something like what the standing, Federal Standing Committee of Finance recommended. They said, if we're not going to do it everywhere, we can at least widen the scope. We want to make sure we're getting luxury goods, which would include luxury cars and jewelry and that kind of thing. Anything that is, it operates basically as a, as sort of a, as a bank in itself. You, you drop 250 grand on a car, you drop $100,000 on a nice piece of jewelry, that can act as a wealth store, which then you can turn and sell. So if you can put your cash in the jewelry, get the jewelry, uh, and then sell the jewelry and say, hey, I have that $100,000. That's because I sold the jewelry. All of a sudden, you've got legitimate money. So anytime that happens, and that's exactly what happened with uh, the, the tremendous numbers of luxury cars they say were um, bought, flipped, and then sold for export. Um, you've got you to hold. So you've got you to fill that hole. That's the, that's the one major thing um, that you, they, 
now. And the one major thing that when when I had an interview with uh, the federal organized crime minister Bill Blair, he's very supportive of a number of money laundering initiatives, but that's not one of them. And and I haven't really been able to sort out exactly why. So to your question, what does a public inquiry do? Maybe it creates it maybe it makes this distinction and this need clearer in the minds of the public. It says it's not just a political recommendation to have universal cash reporting, but it's something that we need to do. And over time, we can create that that political will uh, in the minds of the federal government, which is responsible for a bunch of this stuff. So maybe, I mean, if you're a, an optimist, you would say it's looking for political accountability looking backwards. And once the final report is out, there's a mechanism to hold people politically accountable going forward. Being uh, an optimist. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, 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 I guess I, with the acquire, we don't know what we don't know. So some of these reports that were done were done based on publicly available information and certain people didn't cooperate with that. So we don't know how, what would have happened had they opened up their records. Right. Um, we don't. So maybe the the reason for that universal cash reporting might even be more more compelling mm-hmm. um, if we know even more. It's it's hard to say, and and it's um, you know, and, and it's easy to get lost in it being complicated and about numbers and money. But at the end of the day, um, you, you can see how it operates in the murders. Uh, that are happening in the gang uh, that, that you know result in houses getting shot up, yeah. or you can see you know how that money is flowing through uh, through just uh, the housing market and, and making life a lot less affordable for people. It ends up being a really important thing when it comes to our ability to you know to make a living for ourselves in our own cities and our safety. Yeah. So I mean, we've heard about these loopholes. I would suggest for many years, like over a decade, I think people have been reporting on certain aspects of money laundering, raising questions, raising concerns. We've now had several reports, you know, showing us some information and some evidence about what may be happening. $5 billion laundered through real estate in BC in one year alone. I kind of get the sense that we're at this point where there's almost, for the average person, too much information. They've seen enough examples, they've heard enough stories and reports that they know that they want something to be done. But more so than that, what I often hear from people is they want accountability for the criminals who are doing this, who are washing their dirty money in BC. Is there any hope you think that any inquiry could lead us down that path? Well, that, yeah, the, the search for justice is a big one. I mean, and, and as you know, the main uh, criminal prosecution against the people who the RCMP described were the major uh, uh, money launderers, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year was the allegation um, that's in a charge that's now been stated. There's going to be no criminal accountability there. Uh, that job may fall to civil forfeiture. That's the uh, arm of the government that will sue uh, potential criminals on a, instead of a, a guilty beyond a reasonable doubt standard, a balance of probability standard that you committed a crime and here are the proceeds of it, give it to us. And they're hoping for big money back. I mean, they seized millions of dollars in cash from uh, Silver International when it was raided back in 2015. And then the corresponding searches, over 15 searches, uh, on that same day, discovering more bundles of cash. We did a story the yeah. other day where, where a criminal had actually hid a bunch of cash in a, in a dryer. 
which is about as close to literal money laundering you can get in this province. Yeah. So, so you know, the, the amount of money is out there is staggering. It would be great to be able to to make uh, prosecutions, not not just civil prosecutions, but criminal prosecutions of that easier. When you look at the statistics, we're as a province we're prof- underperforming profoundly when it comes to how many money laundering charges we're getting to court. And also, one of the things that shocked David Eby, the Attorney General, so much when he read uh, an early draft of German's report was that there aren't any full-time RCMP officers doing money laundering in this province. So, you know, there's another couple gaps to fill, not just on the rules about uh, how how to get these things quicker and easier into court, but also just the number of people doing it. It's really low. Yeah, and it, it does come down to a numbers game as well. When you want, think about trying to keep on top of money laundering, we've often heard the Attorney General or um, Dr. Peter German talk about this whack-a-mole where basically you might clamp down on one part of the problem and then up they pop somewhere else. Uh, these criminal transnational organizations seem to be like ninjas. They're pretty nimble. They're pretty um, aware of what's going on. And that's their full-time job is to kind of figure out how to do this. So if we don't have the resources combating this problem in the same place, it's hard to figure out how you actually make a dent in this. Yeah, I mean, you want a, you want a good example of that? You'd look at the marijuana economy. So for years, we, we were talking billions of dollars in British Columbia economy was in this underground marijuana production uh, and sale. Uh, not just locally, but, uh, but you know, you'd, you'd hear experts say the, the bud went south and the cocaine came north, and it became a, a fairly seriously large portion of our economy, and it got legalized. And you, you would hope that the amount of money that was getting laundered globally would go down as a result. Well, not really, because these guys are just pivoting. They're pivoting from marijuana to, in, uh, in this case, arguably fentanyl, to stolen cars, uh, sorry, to uh, stolen cars and flipped cars. And there's there's just a lot of potential crime out there to be done and a lot of money to do it. So the incentives are for these guys to be very inventive. And uh, it is hard to keep up with. So is there a chance you think this inquiry could be like the Game of Thrones series finale? A lot of hype <laughs> and doesn't live up to it? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. I'm hoping, uh, you know, no, nobody gets incinerated <laughs> in this one. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, for, for me, I've probably been covering money laundering here as long as the Game of Thrones uh, series has been on TV. <laughs> I really hope it isn't, such a, isn't as much of a letdown. But, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, given how hard it is to get some of these things through the transparent registry uh, of land, it's coming through in B.C., Federally, uh, it's a little bit harder to do. The the universal cash reporting in BC, we don't have the power to do that. Federally, they're not even talking about it. Uh, BC, we've got the political will to get police officers going. Federally, the RCMP hasn't committed to, yeah. to putting officers on the ground. So, you know, what if after literally two years of, of hearing evidence, making reports, and so on and so on, um, you get essentially what you have now, BC promising to improve the system to as much as it can, and then the federal government saying, well, that was a nice inquiry out there, BC. That <laughs> we, seems, like it, seems like it's your problem. Yeah, we, we've already taken action, and we're hearing that from the feds already. We're, we're not waiting for this inquiry. We're taking action. So 
Um, well, with an election coming up, I think they definitely want to be seen as taking action on this issue that a lot of British Columbians are worried about. But yeah, what happens two years in? Okay, so a lot of information there. And, you know, it has me wondering, how much money laundering are we willing to tolerate? Is it actually possible to rid ourselves of this completely? Or is this something that we just need to come to terms with and decide how much we are willing to accept? Well, whatever it is, it seems to me that at this point, we are saying that what's going on now isn't acceptable. So let's take action. Well, we'll see what comes out of this inquiry. Listen, thank you so much for listening. And thanks to John for joining me. I would love to hear your thoughts. Email me at lady at the ledge at gmail.com. Also, I'm going to highly recommend you check out my colleague. She's fabulous, Penny Daflos. She has a podcast called Behind the Scenes. And you're going to get the news behind the news there, but it will also probably smash some stereotypes that you have about the media. Plus, she is super fun. Thanks again for listening. And as my niece would say, bye.